great to get to see you. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. You picked a great Sunday to be here as we are kicking off a brand new series that we are calling Grow, the Nature of Christian Discipleship. And um, we're really going to be pressing down for the next uh, six weeks, though we're going to take a break next week because of the men's retreat. But uh, we will uh, pick back up after that retreat and, and do five weeks on this series. It's really focused on helping us grow in our relationship with God. And as a church, that's something that we really care about. We want to we be a church where everyone here is really growing in their relation with God. Their relation with God is flourishing. And I'm sure that that's probably no surprise for you to hear that that's something that we would love to see happen within our church. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, what exactly are we hoping grows? Like we, we ask the question, hey, are you growing? Or you, maybe you ask yourself, like, am I really growing in my relationship with God? But what, what, what is it that you're trying to see is growing? Some, some of you might think, well, I guess what I'm trying to see is what's growing is, is my obedience to God growing? And, uh, you know, are you, you making more decisions to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing? And like, that's, we think, man, that's, that's great, but that's actually not what we're really asking when we ask, are you growing? Others might ask, or my, others might think, well, I guess maybe you're asking, is my knowledge of God growing? Like, am I in the word more, knowing more about God and who God is and how much God loves me? Is, is my knowledge of God growing? And, we think that's awesome to, for your knowledge of God to grow. But that's actually not what we are after either when we ask the question, are you growing? In fact, the thing that we want to see growing, and more importantly, what we see that God really wants to have growing in our lives is, is way, uh, it's way more fundamental than you would say obedience or knowledge. In fact, obedience and knowledge divorced from this thing, we would say it could actually hurt your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That obedience, if you're just growing in your obedience to God, but divorced from this thing, it can actually make you really self-righteous and judgmental of others. And that's not good for you or others or your relation with God. And, and growing in your knowledge of God, divorced from this thing, it can really make you smart, but it can also make you very arrogant and that's not good for you or, or your relationship with God or others. And so we say this thing, this thing that we really want to see growing in us, it, it's fundamental. And then we hope that obedience and knowledge leads more to this and flows from this. So what is this thing? What do we really want to see growing? And more importantly, what does God really want to see growing in us? Well, the answer is faith. Faith or trust, confidence in God. The thing that God really wants to see growing in us is a growing trust in him. Imagine, like, just imagine with me for a minute, and I don't know where you come from on your kind of spiritual journey, if you're a Christian or if you're just seeking this out, kind of trying to investigate, or if you're a skeptic, but just no matter where you're coming from, just imagine with me, if you will, for just a second, and just what would life be like if you had complete confidence like complete, like 100% complete confidence in three things. If, if That there's a God, start off there. That there, God, like he actually exists. And then the second thing, that he's a personal God. That he actually loves you, cares about you, knows your name. 
And then the third thing is that he's promised that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's going to always be with you to see you in or through or around any difficulties in your life, that he's never going to abandon you, okay? So just imagine with me, if you had complete confidence, like perfect faith, perfect trust in that, that there's a God, that he loves you, his personal God, and that he's never going to leave you, he's going to be with you through anything, what would your life be like? Can you imagine? I mean, struggles with finances, with your kids, with your husband or with your wife, with your job. Like, none of it would lead to any fear. And you wouldn't be lackadaisical in approaching that stuff, but you would be able to say, you know what, God, like, things are hard right now, but I'm not going to freak out. (laughs) I'm not going to fear. I'm going to, you know what, I have peace in the midst of difficult circumstances because I know you're real and you love me and you're with me. And so I'm going to lean into you during this time. Like, can you imagine the, having peace like that no matter what the circumstances? How awesome would that be? Or what about when it comes to direction in life and you're like, man, I just don't know what I should be doing. I don't know what the purpose of life is or I don't even know what I should do in this specific uh, circumstance. Like, how do I navigate this? And, but you think, you know what? I can trust God. And so I'm going to go to the Word. I'm going to see what God says. And I'm going to do what God says, trusting 100%. Like, what he says is best. And so I don't have to second guess it. And so you have this incredible direction at all times from God. Man, how great would that be? Or like with the sin that just can, like, can just entangle us and mess things up and make relationships fall apart and life just gets so complicated. Can you imagine when you're faced with temptation? Like, you know, you could make a lot of extra money if you just cut corners a little bit with this, you know, with this job. Or if you, you know, if you just look the other way at just the right time, you can, you know, make an unethical business decision. You can, you can make a lot of money. Or like if this, this girl enters your world and she's like way out of your league, but for some reason she is into you, and, but you're married, but she doesn't care that you're married. And you begin thinking, I don't know if I care that I'm married. And then all of a sudden you think, okay, this temptation, money, this temptation with, with, a, with a woman or with a man, like, no, you know what? Not that big of a temptation because I know what God says about that. And I trust him because I know he's trustworthy and he's good. And so what he says is good. So I'm going to do what he says. And I know this stuff, though it's tempting, though it seems like there's some kind of life, some kind of satisfaction found in these false promises. I'm going to know, like, no, there's no life. It's just death that's found there. And I can believe what God says. And you follow God. Can you imagine what life would be like? How much pain you would have avoided in your life if you had that kind of faith? Man, to not have fear, to not have anxiety, to not fret, to never be purposeless, but to know your purpose and to know your direction. Like, would that not be awesome? Have you ever met someone that's like that? Maybe someone who has this just incredible faith no matter what the circumstances are, and, and you're like, you come up to them, and you're like seeing what's going on in their life, and I think oftentimes, if you're like me, you have two responses. First, you think, hey, hey, are you, are you an idiot? Are you paying attention? Do you see what's happening in front of you? Like, how are you so calm? How are you not freaking out? And like, you're freaking out on their behalf, but they're not freaking out. And they're like, hey, I'm sorry that what's going on in my life is making you freak out. But like, I'm good. Because see, I believe God. I believe that God's got me and he loves me. He's taking care of me. And so he's going to see me through this. So you think, man, like, are you an idiot? It's one response that I kind of have at times. The other response, though, oftentimes is, man, I wish I could have that kind of faith. 
I wish I had that kind of peace, that kind of confidence. And friends, I say all of that because that's exactly what God wants for all of us. God wants us to have that kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of confidence in him. That will lead to that kind of peace. And really, even more than that, lead to a depth of intimacy in our relationship with God. In fact, you know, I can say that because I know that's what God wants. Because if you look at Scripture, like Old Testament, New Testament, the entire story of Scripture is God's uh, activity in trying to help us know that we can trust him and calling us to trust him. In fact, at the very beginning of Scripture, what you see in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall, what we refer to as the fall, when sin enters the world, mankind's relationship with God is severed. Well, what severed that relationship? Why did that relationship fall apart? Well, ultimately, it was a result of distrust. It was a result of not believing God, right? When, when Adam and Eve took the, took the fruit, they, they took, that was an act of disobedience, but that disobedience was fueled by a lack of faith in God. And God said one thing, and they, the serpent said another thing. They said, well, I'm going to believe what the serpent says. I'm not going to believe what God says. And so what tore the relationship, our relationship with God apart at the very beginning was a lack of faith. And the rest of the story of the Bible is God, as I said, working to, get, working to help us see that we can trust him and calling us back to realignment of relationship with him that's based on faith. Because lack of faith toward apart, faith in him brings it back together. So you think about the Old Testament, nation of Israel. And God creates this nation, and the nation of Israel, the whole point of it was to, to give the world a picture of what it was to have a relationship with God, what it would be like to have a relationship with God. And, and you notice that if you read this, kind of how things played out with the nation of Israel is that it started when God launches them out of Egypt. They had been in, in slavery for 400 years. They, God redeems them, sets them free from the captivity, Egyptian captivity. And in doing so, God is saying to Israel, hey, I exist. I'm real. And I care about you. I love you. And I'm going to see you through incredible difficulty. I'm going to free you from this slavery. I'm going to bring you through this wilderness. And I'm going to set you in this promised land. You can trust me. You can trust me. And notice, guys, when did the law come into play in that? When did God begin telling the Israelites, here are the things that you ought to do and ought not to do? It was after God first showed that, he could, that the Israelites could trust him. It was after God intervened in their situation and rescued them from Egypt to show them, hey, there's a God that's real, that loves us, that cares about us, and can see us through this hard thing. You know what? We can trust this God. And once the relationship began to form... They saw that they could trust God. Then later God said, okay, here's how to live. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do. And you can take my word that this is the best way to live because you've already seen. You can trust me, God was saying. And so what I'm saying is not to keep you from joy. You can trust that this is actually signpost pointing to true life, to true joy. And so the relationship came first. Trust came first. And then because they could trust him, they saw that they could obey him and should obey him out of joy because they know that God's laws point to life. Don't keep them from life. That's the story of Old Testament. 
So it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus show up on the scene, God the Son, that he doesn't show up with a bunch of laws that says, okay, here's the things that you need to start doing that you've not been doing. No, what Jesus does is that he, in an even more powerful way, shows the whole world, to us included, that we can trust God. Because God, the Son, shows up on earth and says, hey, I'm real. And this is what I'm like. And I love you. And I care for you. I'm a personal God that desperately longs to have a loving relationship with you. So desperate that I'm willing to die in your place. And in dying in your place and freeing you from your sin and from the power of death, I'm going to see you through the most incredible obstacles that there is. Sin and death. And so I am real. And I do care. And I can see you through. And so then Jesus' call to us is, trust me. Trust me. What God longs is for us to have this incredible confidence, faith, trust in him. And so he shows himself to be trustworthy. And he acts to woo us, if you will. I mean, no one uses the word woo, right? But I'm using it here. Woo us into a relationship with him based on trust. I mean, like Jesus gets asked by his followers in, uh, in John chapter 6, so one of them asks, what must we do to do the works God requires? What must we do to do the works that God requires? But Jesus answers very simply, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. To believe, to trust, to have faith. This is what God wants for us. And why? Because just as a lack of faith tore our relation with God apart, Faith in God brings it back together. Because faith, guys, faith, trust, it's the essence and the indicator of an intimate relationship. And guys, that's the key word. What God wants with us is a relationship. And relationships are built on trust. The best relationships you have are relationships filled with trust. Like with Krista and I, my wife and I, our relationship, we can tell how healthy it is by the, lack, by the amount of trust that we have for each other. And so when Krista does something that doesn't meet my expectation, if I go to start assuming that she did that because she is vindictive or because she was out to get me or because whatever, then like that's not healthy. But if I'm thinking, you know what, like, I know Krista loves me and she didn't purposefully let me down. She wasn't trying to like hurt me. I trust her that I hope for the best. And so I say, maybe, you know, maybe something, maybe she had a really rough day. Maybe I should just ask her how her day was instead of coming at her and attacking. If I'm trusting her and her love for me, like that's how I respond to her. That's healthy, right? Or if I say something rude to Krista, or that she takes this rude to Krista, because I would never say anything rude to my wife, but, but <laughs> I wish that was true. But, um, if I say something rude to Krista and she thinks, okay, he, like he's just trying to be me, like he's just trying to hurt me, like that's a lack of trust. But if she, he, she thinks, no, I know Jake loves me. And so he, I probably misunderstood him. And so I'm going to hope for the best here and find out. And I think I, that kind of hurt how you said it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just trust that you didn't try to hurt me. So what, what were you really trying to say? Like that's a healthy relationship, right? Right now I'm teaching my boys how to, how to ride their bikes. And um, they got bikes for Christmas, and it's a lot of fun. Enoch uh, is a wild man. He, the guy just takes to it, and like, I feel like he's gonna almost killed himself like a hundred times. But he, like, he gets it. He, he's having a blast. Camp, camp takes things 
takes to things a little bit more timidly. Like he, he kind of needs to feel his way through things, right? And so he's a little bit more timid on the bike. And one of the things that I just, I mean, I guess the word for it is feel really honored by is when camp, when he's scared to death to do something on the bike, go down a big hill or whatever it might be. And I'm like, man, I got you. I'm down on the bottom of the hill. I'm not going to let you fall. And he's scared to death. And like you see it all over his face, but he does it anyways because he trusts me. And I love that. Because the God of the universe loves that when you do that. The essence and the indicator of a great relationship is trust. And what God wants is an intimate relationship with us. And that's built on trust. So what he wants to grow in us is trust. It's faith. It's confidence in him. And when he sees that, he loves it. He loves it. In fact, I want us to look at a passage today where we see that, uh, see that's true. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to just look at uh, two stories where Jesus heals two different guys. And both of them express faith. And I just want to point out a couple things from these passages. So Matthew 8, uh, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice what he says. Lord, if you're willing. He doesn't say, Lord, if you're able, you can make me clean. But Lord, if you're willing. Like he's, this is a faith statement. I think you, I know that you can. The question is just if you will. And look how Jesus responds in verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now just a couple of observations here. One, I, don't, I want to be real clear here. I don't believe that faith forces God's hand. So that's not like faith in the sense here that we see in this passage where because this man had faith that Jesus had to heal him. Faith doesn't force God's hand. Faith honors God. And that's the distinction here. And I think this man's faith honored Jesus, but Jesus, at his own you know, ability and power, not because he was forced to, chooses to heal this guy. I think that that's one of the things we need to see. Our faith honors Jesus. The other thing I think that's worth pointing out here is the order of events. Just as what I was talking about with uh, the nation of Israel, what do you see with this guy is that this guy trusts Jesus. Jesus shows himself to be trustworthy. He heals this man. And then Jesus tells this man what to go and do. And this man can go and do that because he knows he can trust Jesus. And guys, that, that pattern should be our pattern. We trust that God's trustworthy because of what God has shown us, that he is trustworthy. And therefore, because we know he's trustworthy, we will go and do what he says. It will lead to obedience because of trust. All right, so that's that, that's that story. Keep going, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, real quick, a, a centurion is like a, is a, uh, a, a Roman, uh, um, like, well, a centurion. And what a centurion is, is someone who has a hundred people, hundred men under his direction. So that's kind of where you get the name centurion from. You see the connection there? So he's got these hundred people underneath his care that like whatever they do, whatever he says, to, whatever he says for them to do, they have to go and do it. He's their commander. All right, and so he shows up and he's walking up to Jesus, and he probably has he's probably flanked by a couple of these guys, and most likely, just to kind of set the context here, the disciples are are a little bit fearful. 
Like it's not a good sign when a Roman centurion's walking up to you with a couple guys on the side and they're thinking, okay, this isn't good because you got to remember, the Romans were the bad guys. Like in the eyes of Israel, the Romans were the bad guys. They were the invaders. They were the conquerors. The nation of Israel was no longer a free nation. It was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so they were having to pay taxes to the Romans. Like they didn't like these guys. And so here up walks up this Roman centurion. And in verse 6, it says, oh, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. And, and the disciples, they're probably thinking to themselves, well, good. Well, good. I hope he dies. You know, I hope he dies. And I hope that whatever he has is contagious and that you get it and all your family gets it. And you take it back to Rome and all of Rome gets it. That's what I hope happens. But that's not what Jesus responds by saying. And said, Jesus says in verse 7, uh, well, shall I come and heal him? Shall I, shall I come and heal him? <laughs> Again, I just think the disciples have to be thinking like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Whoa, wait a second. Like, I know you're kind and compassionate, but you're taking it a little too far, don't you think? Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, like they're already on to us, they're already watching us. They don't like us. But if you start healing Romans... You know, then they're really going to get us. We're going to be in all kinds of trouble. So like, hey, just, just slow down. Like, let's, let's just walk away. Just walk away. But Jesus says, hey, do you want me to, shall I come and heal him? And listen to how the centurion replies. Verse 8. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. In other words, he's saying, look, I, I think that you could heal my servant from, uh, f- from far away. In fact, I think you can do it from right here. So uh, you don't even, even have to come to my house, which is an incredible statement of faith. And then goes on to explain why he has reasoned Jesus could do this. He says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. In other words, what he's saying is, look, Jesus, I've been watching you, and you look like a regular guy. And I know that I'm, I'm a regular guy, but like, you're, you're a regular guy, but yet when you, when you command illness, sickness, it obeys. When you command someone to, to live, even though they've been dead, they obey. And you're just a regular guy. So there's got to be something else going on here. And I've been thinking how I'm just, like, I'm just this regular guy. And yet I've got a hundred men who do what I say. And it's not because I'm this amazing person. It's because I represent the power of the Roman Empire. And because of who I represent, these hundred people under my command, they do what I tell them to do. So I say, go guard this building, and they go guard this building. I say, come with me to go talk to Jesus. They come with me to go talk to Jesus. Like, whatever I say to do, they do because of who I represent. And if sickness and death obey you, then I think it must be because of who you represent. And you represent something that's way more powerful than I've ever come in contact with. But I figure that it's so powerful that you don't actually need to go to my house to heal this person. That whoever you represent can actually heal them from far away. You think that's what he meant? Yeah, that, that's what he meant. Like that's, that was his train of thought. And it blew Jesus away. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was 
amazed. He was amazed. This is the first and only time in all of Scripture that you see Jesus encounter someone, and what this person does, what the person Jesus encounters, what they do amazes Jesus. Now, this story is recorded in a couple of the other Gospels, but it's all the same event. So this it's only one time that this actually happens, that someone does something that amazes Jesus. Now, you can read the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and you see oftentimes Jesus is doing something that is amazing others. But this, again, first time and only time that someone else does something that amazes Jesus, and notice what this guy has done. It's not this incredible act of obedience. It's not like, whoa, did you see how that guy did not commit adultery? That was incredible. Or did you see how that woman did not tell a lie there? That's not what Jesus is amazed by here. No, what amazes Jesus is this person's, this man's faith. His confidence in him. It amazes him and astounds him. It blows away to the point that he says in the rest of verse 10, he turns around and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great, what? Such great faith. It's like Jesus like, puts down all of Israel right here. Like, this is kind of a wild statement. And like, to all those following him, like to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who knew the law, like backwards and forwards, and who were like super obedient, like they kept the law like no one else, and to his own followers, like the disciples, Jesus turns around to them and says, I wish that all of you could be like this pagan, Gentile, Roman, invader, centurion. Like this guy, the guy that they would all think, you, there's no way you have anything to do with God. Jesus is saying, this guy is who I wish all of y'all could be like, because I've never found anyone who's had greater faith than him. What does Jesus want from us? He wants us to have great confidence, great trust in him. It astounds Jesus when he sees this guy's faith. It blows him away. Bible, throughout the Bible, what we see is that what God is after is calling us to trust him. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six, there's another really clear passage that talks about how much faith matters to God. The verse says this, and without faith, it is impossible, hear that, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the opposite of that would be, with faith, you please God. Guys, what what is God trying to do in your life? You ask yourself, man, what's God up to in my life? Ultimately, the answer is, is he's trying to help me trust him more. He's trying to grow my faith, my confidence in him. That is what God wants to do in us. And when, we, when he does that, it leads to all kinds of great things. <laughs> It's a great thing that God wants to do in us. For us, it leads to peace. It leads to guidance. It leads to direction. For God, it leads to honor. 
For others, it leads to blessing because you are going to be a blessing in their life if you walk according to God's ways as you trust him. This is a wonderful thing that God's doing in our lives. The question is, is, is it happening? Are we allowing God to do this in us? Are, is your faith in God, is it growing? Big question becomes, then becomes, well, um, how does God grow our faith? <laughs> you know, like if this is really what God's wanting to do in us. Then how does he do that? How does he grow our faith? And guys, that's what we're going to talk about in the rest of this series. We're going to take next week off because of the retreat, but then we're going to spend four weeks pressing down on five things that God uses to grow our faith. And I'm really excited about talking about these things because this is something that has, I guess you could say, been a little bit of a fascination of mine for a long time. I would say for up to five years. I actually heard a sermon series by a guy named Andy Stanley, a pastor that I talk about sometimes on Sundays that had a huge impact on me. But he did a sermon series that was kind of focused on this. And he was asking questions. What are the things that God uses to grow our faith? And that sent me and my own kind of investigation also asking the same kind of questions. Like, what does God use to grow his faith? His faith is such a big deal to him. If that's what he's really wanting to do in us, how does he try to do that in us? And so I started reading scripture. I started praying. And I started talking to a lot of people. And one of the questions I would ask, and kind of my go-to question was, hey, when you look at your spiritual journey, when people who had been a Christian for a little while, like when you kind of look back over your years as a believer, what has God used to really grow your trust in him? What are the kind of things that God's done? And I just kind of listened to what people say. Like recently, I asked my huddle guys, the guys I'm discipling. I asked the elders. I asked Krista. I asked my dad. I asked Krista's parents while we were with them over Christmas. And I'm just asking lots of people a question, like the same question. And what I've seen time and time again is that there are five things that God just seems to use to grow our faith. And these five things, there's no passage that lays these five things out real clearly. Uh, there's no, and, and so I also just want to say like, that means it's based off of some, a lot of observation and I could be wrong. There could be six things. There could be seven things. I feel very confident that it's at least these five things, but these five things kind of show up in story after story after story as kind of the natural way that God works to grow our faith in him. So we're going to lay those out and just talk about those over the course of this series. Now, let me just give you a quick rundown of what those are. The first one is uh, practical biblical teaching. Practical biblical teaching. I mean, just think about your own story. Perhaps you could see that there's been a time where it's like the Bible, you thought maybe just was used to collect dust on your shelf, but then you met someone or you came to a a church service or you joined a Bible study or you were in some kind of, uh, you know, Bible group or something. And they opened up the Bible and started teaching from it and it came alive to you. And you realized this is helpful. This is practical. This actually has something to say about my life and helps me understand like who God is. And all of a sudden, your faith in God began to grow as a result of being under some practical biblical teaching. The second thing is providential relationships. Now, all these are going to start with a P, just to give you a heads up. I don't usually do that, but I try to help you all remember these things. So we have practical biblical teaching, then providential relationships. And providential relationships is like you think about your faith story, and you think, man, there, there I, was, you know, I was kind of walking along in my relation with God, but then I met this guy, or then I met this girl. Or this, or then this older man started getting together with me. 
and he took an interest. Or my neighbors had me over for dinner. And all of a sudden, this relationship began to form, and God used that in an incredible way to help me grow in my trust in him. And at that time, you wouldn't have said it was providential. But looking back, you now it feels like God actually placed that person in your life at that time to help you grow in your relationship with him, your trust in him. Third thing is private disciplines. Private disciplines. Oftentimes in your story, it's, man, when I actually started to open up the Bible on my own and reading it, when I actually started praying to God and using my own words, and at first I was like, I don't know if I can actually do that, and what if I say the wrong thing? But you, you kept praying, and God didn't strike you down, and you thought, okay, I could actually pray, and then you pray for stuff, and you see God answer those prayers, and all of a sudden, you're, like, your faith just kind of explodes. And when you begin spending time with God on your own, you spend praying to God in your own words, you start giving financially, maybe money was your God, and all of a sudden you say, okay, now I'm going to honor God with my old God, with money, and you start giving sacrificially to God, and your relation with God just begins to just, oh man, just explode, just to really begin to grow. Fourth thing is personal ministry. Personal ministry, when you begin to take a step out to start serving others in the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, and at first you're like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing? I don't, I can't, like, I have nothing to offer anybody. But here I am, I'm going to try to teach these kids about Jesus, or I'm going to, I'm on a plane, on a mission trip, and I'm a missionary, but I shouldn't be a missionary, I should have missionaries coming to me. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but all of a sudden you're like in this place of this incredible dependence on God, trusting him, and you serve him, and then you get to see him use you for his glory and the good of others, and your relationship with God just begins to flourish. The fifth area is the area of pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. And most people's story includes a time when something really good or something really Bad takes place. And it's a pivotal deal. Like it could cause you to go one way or the other. And people whose faith journey includes that the pivotal circumstance happens and it causes them to lean further into God, depend on God more. They say, man, those, those times in my life were huge in helping me grow in my trust for God. And you, so you go through a divorce or a loved one dies or you lose a job and you run into some kind of financial difficulty or you get married and you have your first baby. Like things like this, God uses to really be a catalyst of trust in your relation with God because it moves you into further dependence on him or at least it can. Because those are the five. And that it just seems from observation, and then there's passages certainly speak to all of these things, but that most people's faith journey includes that God is you, what God is using to grow your faith in him are things like practical biblical teaching and uh, providential relationships and private disciplines and a personal ministry and pivotal circumstances. Now, these are things that God uses to grow up our faith. And the reason I tell you this is not just so that you will go and do all of these things, because some of these things you just can't go and do. This isn't really a to-do list. Like, you can't just go out and have a pivotal circumstance. Like, I, I would like tell you not to just go and seek one of those out, right? But some of these things are things you could begin doing, like making sure, like, man, I'm going to start spending time alone with God each day and 
having private discipline. But some of these things, you just like you just don't pick a providential relationship. You don't like, uh, you look cool. Be my friend. Let's be, we're going to be providential r- friendship right here. Like those kind of just develop over time. But so what do you do with this? Well, here's what you do. I think it's helpful just to be able to put our finger on what God's wanting to do in our lives, to grow our trust, our faith in him. And then to identify the types of things that God uses to grow our trust in him so that we can then look to put ourselves in positions where they're like, or in environments that leverage those things. And so like on Sunday mornings, you come to hear the word of God taught in a practical way. No, this is something that God can use to grow my faith. You join an MC or a huddle where you can be connected with other Christians and that the providential relationships can develop in that and where you can be held accountable to spend time in private disciplines. Like things like that, you can say, okay, when I get asked to serve in ministry or I'm looking for a place to serve in ministry, I'm going to take that step because I know that God uses that stuff to grow my, grow my faith. It's helpful to know that this is how God it works so that we can look for ways to align ourselves in positions that leverage that to allow God to do his work in us. And friends, it's what he wants to do in us. He wants to grow our faith to the point that when bad things happen, things don't go according to plan, we don't bail on him, but we lean further into him. So that when we are having or at a loss for what to do in a certain situation. We know we can go to him. When we face temptation of many kinds, we can say no to it because we trust that God is good and what his way is best. And so the temptation doesn't get us and entangle us. And guys, ultimately, so that we can have a more intimate relationship with the God of the universe, our King and our Savior, who loves us enough that he died for us. In fact, I want to end our time this morning by taking communion. And the way we're going to do it this morning is that during this, uh, next, this time of response and worship, we're going to give you a chance to just to get up out of your seats and come and grab the, uh, pick a, a piece of bread and a cup and take it kind of on your own leading over the next few minutes. But as you do this, here's what I want you to be thinking about. Is that the reason we're ending this message by taking communion is because in communion, what we are remembering is the absolute number one proof that God, my friends, that God is trustworthy. And when Jesus, God the Son, came to earth in his pursuit of us and a love for us and died ultimately for our sins, He died that we would have life. And then what Jesus did, it tells us there is a God. And he is personal. He's better than we could ever imagine. He loves you more than you can wrap your mind around. And he can see you through anything. Even seeing you through the penalty of sin and the consequence of death by taking them upon himself, that we could get in him his righteousness and eternal life. Is God trustworthy, my friends? Absolutely. How do we know? God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. So when we take the bread, we're going to remember Jesus' body broken for us. When we take the cup, we're going to remember Jesus' blood spilled out for us to issue, usher in a new covenant, a new relationship with God based not on what we've done for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. And friends, what I want you to ask yourself as you take communion is this. Am I trusting God? Is God growing me in my faith in him? And as you hold that bread and hold that cup and you take that, I want you just to say, I can trust God because of what Jesus did for me. Friends, may we trust God more this year. Let me pray. And as you feel led, come up and take communion. Father, God, we admit that we foolishly don't trust you so often. Or we think that we know the best way to go. We think that we can find life on our own. Or we think that we are in control and thinking that crushes us, God. And yet we continue to do it over and over again. And God, I'm so sorry. And uh, together as a church, we, we confess that. And God, we ask that you would do what you want to do in us, which is to grow our faith, our trust in you. And God, we praise you for Jesus. Lord, the ultimate proof that you are our trustworthy God and that you can be trusted and that, Lord, there is joy found in you. There's life found in you. We know that through Jesus. God, help us not forget that. Grow our trust in you for your glory, God, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.